on today's episode, Heart Rate Data Insights with Chris Schneider. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default, become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. continue this recovery month. Uh, in particular, we've got part two of Heart Rate Week, and I hope you enjoyed the episode with Simon Wegerith talking about heart rate variability. This one is going to be focused just on the heart rate side of things, even though Chris Schneider is very well versed in heart rate variability. We do delve into it a little bit, but um, by way of bio, Chris Schneider is a sports scientist in Germany. He is a PhD student in athlete monitoring and heart rate measures, has contributed to several literature publications on these topics, and is the lead author on several papers that are relating to heart rate measures for training and recovery prescription. A great guest to have on, right? (laughs) Um, This one is a great uh, interview. Chris Schneider is very like softly spoken. I did have a few issues with his microphone. I did enhance a lot of his audio wavelengths when I did my editing. So apologies if you do notice a bit of uh, inconsistency when it comes to the sound volume. I think it turned out really well. And as long as it's not too soft that you can't hear, I think it's pretty good. (laughs) The content is fantastic. Chris is uh, quite softly spoken. And he he told me at the end of the interview, he was actually quite worried about his English and I thought it was absolutely perfect. A lot of the stuff I say doesn't make sense, but he was very meticulous with how he was talking. He was very calculated with what he was saying, very scientifically driven. Um, He has this particular view, even though he's done a lot of papers on this, it's a very unbiased view around heart rate for monitoring athletes. And it's not this like real flashy, sexy content that everyone wants where you get a guru on and they say, this is the be all end all. These are all the uh, magic benefits it'll have. This is all the amazing effects. In reality, when it comes to science and what we can say based on the data that is available, apparently, well, it's not really that flashy and sexy. It is very raw. It's very honest. It's very up to date. And I know a lot of runners or some runners, they're not too interested in heart rate. Maybe this interview isn't really for them. Others are really constantly monitoring their heart rate and wanting to know what their heart rate is like outside of running, inside of running, after running. And this would be right up your alley. So we definitely start off talking about 
the negative, oh, I won't say negatives, I'll say more the inconsistencies of heart rate and what you should be very cautious of, what you should be wary of when it comes to interpreting your heart rate data. And uh, then we, we sneak in some positives at the end. So enjoy this conversation. Next week, we have Shona Halson, who is um, a very well-recognized professional when it comes to recovery. She has been featured on several podcasts, books, articles, and her wisdom and expertise is she's almost like the guru when it comes to recovery around the world. So we speak to, uh, to <laughs> we speak to Shona and then we have also next week Christy Ashwanden, who is the author of the book Good to Go, subtitle How to Eat, Sleep and Rest Like a Champion. These two are going to be like this one-two punch in terms of recovery. You're going to love those next two. That is for everyone. Um, So I'm excited to bring you that. But let's dive into heart rate for now. So without further ado, let's bring on Chris Schneider. Thanks for having me, Brody. You're very welcome. If you, we might just start off with uh, introducing yourself and your academic background and how you found yourself into this um, specific research topic. Well, um, I grew up really countryside, um, like we had five to 500, uh, 400 to 500 inhabitants in our village, so really, really small, and then was got interested in, in training and sports science and then moved in a city to study sports science, did my bachelor's and master's there, and then afterwards I got lucky to start a PhD on athlete monitoring using heart rate measures. And uh, yeah, meanwhile, I also tried to work as a coach in between. I grew up as a basketball player, so therefore basketball was my initial starting point. And then got into the strength and conditioning more and more interested and also um, become a coach there until or up to semi-professional basketball level. And uh, now I'm working at a university and also at a sports medicine institute. And yeah, that's basically my my background. Cool. And coming from a basketball background myself as well, we share that common interest. Oh, nice. That's nice. <laughs> uh, your paper that uh, you directed me to, heart rate monitoring in team sports, heart rate measures for training and recovery prescription. It's a very interesting title. What were you aiming to to get out of this topic? What were you trying to learn? What were you trying to achieve? Hmm. <clears throat> So maybe I have to go one step back um, before we start with the actual topic because like the, the entire PhD was implemented in a, in a big recovery project that um, my boss was working on with a couple of other colleagues and therefore heart rate measures as like one tool of the many tools that could be used to track recovery and recovery processes was always one option and therefore I got into the, the heart rate measures and because we are also working a lot with team and game sports and racket sports, that was always like the the overall aim because most of the subjects, most of the teams we are working with were always team sport athletes. And the question was in the beginning, okay, what does actually the literature says at the moment? I was reading around a bit and uh, most of the time the authors concluded, okay, they, there might be some value in heart rate or heart rate variability measures in, in game sports or even in other sports. But at the same time, you need to contextualize all the information. You need additional measures. You need to 
consider the, the training content and so on and so far. And the original idea was that I sit down, read a lot of papers and summarize how could we actually do the multivariate monitoring or the multidimensional monitoring. And that was the original background. So I tried <clears throat> to find some of the suggestions and hopefully some of the solutions that others are um, suggesting that might be useful to work with these measures. And I tried to yeah, outline this a little bit in the paper. That was the original aim. Yeah. Okay. And if you were allocated to the heart rate variables, uh, what were your other colleagues, what were they delving into? <clears throat> so we had um, a huge part of, basically we did almost everything. Like there were a couple of, couple of review papers before and um, be, because we were funded to work with elite sports, elite sports in Germany, basically, the, the big question is, okay, at the end, we have some good evidence for that physiological processes of different recovery interventions will work and so on and so forth. And therefore we could see like um, blood measures change, um, subjective measures, measures change, but at the end, will it also always impact performance as well? So therefore, we did um, several studies with different training contexts where we did like all of the different measures, lot, lots of um, blood measures and performance measures, sport specific or training specific performance measures, um, non-invasive measures like heart rate, tensile myography. And um, we also um, developed like the, the big research group, which was a big research group at the time, also developed a, a questionnaire. Michael Kelman um, did that. and. All of these measures in different training contexts and always with the main background does performance change as well in response to recovery in response to overload and that was the main the main setup and then we looked which measures um, were sensitive to fatigue and recovery changes in the different training contexts yeah i think as we get i think we'll delve further into that throughout the interview and i think we might come to a, a nice well, probably not a nice conclusion, but like a nice plain English of where we're currently at. And mm -hmm. yep. um, conscious of the fact that a lot of the, the listeners are recreational runners that might not have a massive like scientific background in understanding a lot of the, how a study is actually designed and, you know, all mm -hmm. the technical jargon that goes along with it. So I guess based on your current research and what you have found, what can heart rate currently tell us as a measurement of data for when we're exercising and also when we're resting? Are there any conclusions currently of what we can, what useful measures we can use it for? Mm -hmm. um, I think you, we, we cannot take it down to the measurement uh, like at, at the, as the main outcome because the, the heart rate measures are really much dependent on when you measure them, under which context and in, under which situation. And then also what it tells us changes dramatically. So basically if we're talking about resting measures, for example, the first thing that you do in the morning, um, the typical resting heart rate or nowadays with all the applications and so on, heart rate variability is something different then if you're doing um, autostatic tests where you have some active standing up, for example, after a lying period, or when you are looking at um, heart rate measures during exercise, at the beginning of exercise, for example, how quickly does heart rate change and adapt at the beginning of when you start from resting to, to exercising, then 
how's the heart rate during exercise? How high is it? How low is it? And how quickly can heart rate recover afterwards? And all of these different things, um, all, all of these different situations with the same measures, like some measures of heart rate, exercise heart rate, or resting heart rate and variability, then they tell us probably different things and are also impacted by different um, influencing factors. So basically um, a really, really broad suggestion, which is mainly focused on a really great review by Martin Bouchette from 2014 is like resting measures is probably more related to um, the overall state, like overall recovery state, for example, or overall fatigue state. Um, but it does not necessarily tell you how well you are able to cope with exercise stress because responses may differ then. And when we then look at exercise heart rate, for example, we have a really standardized workload. We just do an easy jog as a warm up, or we have a submaximal test when we talk about team and game sports. And then we just look at the standardized exercise bout. What is the heart rate at this? Most of the time we think of this like relative intensity. Like for example, I have at 12 kilometers per hour, 80% of my maximum heart rate. And therefore my relative intensity is something like 80% of maximum heart rate. So we can think of this like individual relative intensity. And also it's really well associated at least under steady state exercise with energy, energy expenditure, for example, and um, but in contrast to resting measures, it's typically less associated with fatigue or recovery. That's at least the main idea, like exercise measures are typically suggested to be a little bit more stable and a little bit more associated with actual aerobic fitness, but less associated with recovery. And then again, looking at the kinetic of heart rate changes, like the changes in the heart rate at the beginning of exercise, how quickly is the acceleration and how quickly is the recovery, then again, there's the idea, okay, we may be able to see how good, good is the autonomic nervous system responding to uh, these changes in workloads and therefore how good is recovery and fatigue again. That's at least the basic idea. So okay. So you're- it to exercise more fitness, put it into rest, more fatigue and recovery. That's the idea. So if you were to measure your heart rate just over a couple of days continuously, there's a couple of measurements. Mm -hmm. One could be, how quickly you're recovering after exercise, like how quickly your heart rate goes back down to kind of baseline resting heart rate, how quickly it adapts once you start exercising, what the, the sudden um, change is like in exercise or response to exercise. And then you're looking at certain intensities or how, like when you're working at certain intensities, how close your heart rate is getting to max heart rate or how, I guess, submaximal it is at different levels. And mm -hmm. as you're monitoring these through the rest period, through the um, exercise period, you can start to use it as a piece to the puzzle to depending on or to predict or to have as a bit of information of what your body's doing, how healthy you are, how quickly you're responding, um, the accuracies of that heart rate, like how well we should rely on that, that data is another question, but the, the fact that we're, using that measurement as a piece of the puzzle um, can be helpful. Is that what you're saying? Mm, yeah, I think so. But we like, again, we, we have to be really aware that <clears throat> when we are putting the, this heart rate measure in different situations, um, it may, may tell us something different. Yeah, definitely. 
Okay. Also, I, I was I was previously talking about um, fitness. I mean, we always talk about endurance or aerobic fitness. And when talking about heart rate measures and fatigue and recovery, I think it's also important that we mainly can um, take or make make conclusions about the the again aerobic systems or autonomic nervous systems like heart rate and heart rate variability would probably at least from my opinion um, never tell us anything about muscle stitches or how we feel like we have to be aware that um, our body our recovery or fatigue can happen on different levels on different physiological or psychological systems and heart rate and heart rate variability are always just one piece of the puzzle even when we're looking at the complex um, phenomena like fatigue and recovery. I mean, fatigue for a runner is something entirely different compared to fatigue in a team sport athlete or to, uh, for, for weightlifter. At least in many cases, it would be different. In some cases, it could be the same. And so we need to be aware that we are talking sometimes about different things, although we're using the same terms like recovery. Okay. When it comes to exercising, I know the topic, the theme of this month is around recovery. And a lot of people don't like complete rest. They, they sometimes have a recovery day where they exercise at a really relatively low intensity. Uh, can we use heart rate for that? If we measure like their max heart rate and say they want to keep their exercise intensity below or at a certain amount, can we use heart rate and say, look, I don't want to have my heart go above 140 beats per minute during this exercise? Is there some level of accuracy to that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that was, at least from what I know, the original um, starting point with measuring heart rate, heart rate, looking um, how intense is exercise and therefore always coming back to what is actually happening with um, energy distribution. Are we working on our fats or are we still or are we already, are we already um, fueling a lot of carbohydrates and therefore how high is the intensity? I mean, this is really, really a good construct and and in generally in general that works quite well for acute training prescription or just not overpacing during during practice but at the same time we have lots of influencing factors um, so it, it could be different if you're just looking at the numbers blindly because we have many situations where this overall really good association between intensity and heart rate changes but if we are aware of some general situations i think we can work with this quite nicely i mean the other thing is looking at your pace but pace depending on the um on the terrain that you're running at could also be difficult and heart rate is at least partly suggested as also being reflective of the overall stress like if it's harder um, if it's warmer mm -hmm. outside the heart rate is higher but then again it could also be or it's quite quite um, plausible that the overall stress on your body is higher so therefore this high exercise heart rate may even be a good indicator of the actual stress that you are at. So I think this is a really good, good um, approach to not overpace, at least in general. But there are again also some situations, for example, it could be difficult, especially in endurance, um, in recovery blocks or recovery weeks, because I mean, when we talk about training camps, for example, where you are doing really high training volumes, there's also the quite common phenomenon that heart rate drops. The more and the more you work and the more you fatigue throughout the, the high volumes. Uh -huh. There are some situations and some 
um, factors that limit your heart rate to go up to the common values and therefore submaximum heart rate will drop with fatigue in overload um, with high volumes at low intensity and also maximum heart rate will drop. And therefore, when you usually have a low, an easy run at 130 beats per minute, for example, and when you're then at some kind of overreaching due to really high volumes at low intensity, then even being below 130 could be an overload because your entire system is breaking you down. And then maybe 120 or 110 would be the sufficient stimulus to still keep you at low intensity at a low recovery run. You have to be aware of these phenomena. And I think an extremely good and practical approach is always at the same time look at how do you actually perceive the exercise? How hard does it feel at the moment? If your heart rate tells you something, but it still feels tough, something has to be wrong. And this is probably the best indicator to validate what your heart rate is telling you. And this is what all the papers say. You need at least to contextualize exercise measures with your perceived exertion, mm -hmm. basically RPE or just like heart easy moderate. Um, and that's also in most of the studies, this, the only possibility when we can differentiate, differentiate between heart rate is low because we get fitter or heart rate is low because we are overreaching. Yeah, and, and you're saying there... It's easy or it feels hard. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. And when you overtrain and the heart rate drops, you're saying that's quite common with like elite athletes or top performing athletes working at a really high volume. Not necessarily. And I, I, I maybe need to clarify myself. It's basically not overtraining. It's more like the overreaching state. So for, when we talk about a short, short amount of times when we only have performance decrease or really high fatigue for a couple of days, a couple of, or maybe one or two weeks. Um, so basically this is the situation where I'm what I'm talking about. It's better called overreaching. And um, this could also happen to the recreational runner. So for example, I was also working and um, supporting some recreational triathletes for several years now in, when they are at Mallorca in Spain and their training camps for, for two weeks and all of them overpace. And probably all of them will have a sudden heart rate decrease during exercise at the same intensities, at the same wattage when they are on the bikes, at the same speed when they're running, um, because they are training at huge amount of, of training after coming off the, of the winter break. And so therefore, even for recreational runners, um, for, for fitness athletes, this can happen quite easily if you are at a training camp situation, for example. So you don't even have to be an elite athlete to be aware of this phenomenon and to, to face these problems, probably. Okay. You, you did briefly talk about other factors that might affect heart rate and yep. some other factors outside of exercise that might produce some inaccuracies when it comes to, I guess, resting heart rate, well, I guess resting and exercise heart rate, um, what are some common situations or common factors that might influence heart rate that we don't necessarily think about? 
what we don't think about. Um, that's obviously something the different different between people. Um, what's really clear is caffeine. Caffeine mm -hmm. or really strong black tea, green tea, it will have an increase in heart rate. Um, I would assume, but I'm not actually sure what the research says there, that intensities don't really change that much, but like just uh, the heart rate is higher. So therefore this is probably considered an, an inaccuracy. Um, at the same time, we often have even in other situations that nutrition can really influence like the way that we work during exercise, like the, the amount of carbohydrates and fats that we actually fuel during exercise. So I would also suggest, or I would also assume that caffeine intake will have an effect on how much fats and carbohydrates we burn. And therefore maybe it again um, gives us a good information about what actually happens during training, but I'm not really sure about that. So caffeine is definitely one thing. Um, stress could be another thing which again then could be that it actually is also a larger physical stress at the end. Um, temperature, sometimes it doesn't really feel that strong, but it could be even stronger. Um, and this definitely influences your heart rate uh, during exercise. And also things like, okay, when it's cold outside and maybe it's not that cold, maybe the wind is not there and you are having too many clothes um, wearing Three, uh, throughout the runs, maybe you have some kind of, I don't know how you call it, uh, overheat, and therefore your heart rate is in increasingly high um, and you are not able to run your pace anymore. So this could also be a, pro a problematic situation. But I think um, a really important thing is also acute training influences, uh, acute stress influences, like physical stress. And this is probably not so much on our minds. Um, I personally observed only or saw only um, some more recent studies that also address this. So for example, if we are having really high intensity training, <clears throat> the next day, probably your heart rate is lower. Resting heart rate, but also exercise heart rate because we have uh, acutely after high intensive training, quite often an increase in plasma volume. So therefore, even at the same intensity, we have more plasma volume, therefore heart rate will drop during exercise. And this is something that we observe very often, like people feel fatigue, but they are due to high intensity training, there's uh, increase in plasma volume and blood volume therefore, and um, therefore heart rate drops. And if we then have a, a short period of recovery where the, the body can restore all the processes and the, the blood volume and the plasma volume comes back to normal state, then heart rate will increase, although we are recovered. And then the original idea, okay, lower heart rates are good, are entirely reversed. This is also something um, that's not that often discussed, I think, because I think like the, the situations or the studies that actually look at what is happening um, during training, most of the time they look pre-post and they are not monitoring each single training day, each single training session, and therefore the short-term effects of something like um, high intensity to low intensity are not that often described in the literature. And this is something that we really have to be aware of sometimes. And we observed this um, in an in a elite badminton group um, a couple of years ago. Every time, or really, really often, 
at the end of the week, at the end of the training week, and they're game sport athletes, so they're working really high intensity, um, several hours a day. At the end of the week, exercise heart rate was lower, although they were fatigued. After the weekend, heart rate went up again. So entirely the, the, the opposite way of what we actually think. Um, usually we think lower heart rates are good, higher heart rates are bad. But the, the short-term effects could be the entire different way around. And this and is something you, that's often neglected. neglected. So when you say that there's a low heart rate after they've yeah. had that massive exercise week, are you saying that it's lower than their normal baseline heart rate? Yeah. Okay. And if you are to measure, because I think the theory being that once your heart rate returns to its normal steady state at rest, that yep. we can say, oh, well, we're, we're meant, to, um, meant to guess that the body has recovered from the training session and uh, the, the yep. weekly exercise intensities. Can there be false positives with measuring that? Like can someone exercise once they've exercised the next day, their heart rate, their resting heart rate has returned back, back to baseline. Can we accurate, accurately say that the body's recovered or can there be some situations where that is actually a false positive? Mm, there are definitely false positives depend, uh, because of several reasons. Like um, the, what I mentioned before is uh, we also observed this in exercise heart rate um, just to to uh, make that, that clear again. But also, especially with resting heart rates, I think there are even more, more um, influencing factors that we need to consider. And like everyone who measured resting heart rate or resting heart rate variability for several days, for several weeks, <clears throat> knows how large the fluctuations can be. Although we often think that there are not really big differences between days, but I mean, the good and the bad thing is, and under resting conditions, we typically get, we try to get an insight with the resting heart rate measures into our, the stages of our autonomic nervous system. Like basically the way the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system um, re work together, but mainly the, the heart rate variability measures or the heart rate measures are directly impacted by the parasympathetic. That's the basic idea. But the autonomic nervous system, as probably most of us know, um, is influenced by almost everything. Like if we are having bad thoughts, this could be some kind of psychological stress and therefore heart rate at the moment could be high or lower. If you are coughing, if the temperature is a little bit co uh, colder, if you are standing up one hour later, if the night was bad, if you drank too much, because also then you can change your plasma volume um, quite rapidly or the temperature within your body, if it's cold water. Um, the exercise before, the, the way you, you, you measure your heart rate, because sometimes we talk about really short amounts of times in resting heart rate. So at least what we observe, we have quite a substantial amount of variation from day to day when we talk about resting measures, even if we try to control the situations as good as possible. And then the big question is, is this actually something that should be considered um, a change in the actual state and something like recovery or fatigue? Or is this something that really just imitates the, the different situation and therefore we should not overcall the, the, the changes that dramatically? I think the, the biggest consensus is 
it's really difficult just from a single resting measure to say, okay, this day should be entirely different. The, the changes need to be dramatic, basically, because we have quite, quite huge changes from day to day, even under normal conditions. And to really call just from a single resting measure, okay, now we definitely need to, need to change the day. Um, they, therefore, you need to see really big, big changes. Otherwise, all of these different influencing factors, all of these different factors have an impact on our autonomic nervous system. The autonomic nervous system is really sensitive to all the changes and it adapts all the time. And therefore also heart rate measures will dramatically change in, in different situations. You can also um, change your heart rate and especially heart rate variability with breathing a little di differently, having a different breathing pace, breathing faster or slower or more in depth, less in depth and your heart rate will automatic, automatically change within seconds. So okay. we, I think we should be a little bit careful to overcall on a single measurement. Yeah, I think when you're talking about one reading, like one snapshot, one moment in time where you're taking this heart rate, <clears throat> the the amount of what you're saying is the amount of variation is way too much. There's way too many inaccuracies for you to interpret what's happening at that that moment in time because things like temperature, breath rate, all that kind of thing will influence your current heart rate in terms of maybe taking an average over a certain period of time is would that help with accuracy yeah definitely um but at the same time you have to be aware that then you're looking at like something like the the, the actual current state where you're working at like something the, the the level that you're just currently working at it still could be that on a given day you actually are really less less um less recovered or less fatigue or more fatigued or something like this so th this could be the case but in, in in many situations we actually don't really know about that so what i always would do at the one at the one hand um when it's about daily changes in training try to consider more information more than just one it's not always just heart rate it's also I had a bad sleep. Um, I feel not. I, I don't feel that good. Or usually, I yesterday I did a training, and I know in ninety percent of the times when I do this training, like for example when I go for a re really easy recovery run, and my heart rate usually comes up after this or comes down or whatever, and then it's largely different this time. That's the first first indicator of making things differently. Like. You really have to be aware of what is actually usually your responses and if the response is quite consistent in the past and it's different right now that's also a good indicator of doing something different and also if more or several measurements and your perception your feelings um, guide you in a different direction i would never consider just one information always go with that and if we're looking at if we try to average heart rates resting heart rates for example to get a more accurate um, idea but then again, we are not looking at daily responses. Then we're looking at longer, moderate changes over time. So for example, when looking at training adaptations, I would always use at least a one week average, for example. But then a one week average is never sensitive to acute changes because it averages all the changes out. I do know because uh, I monitor my heart rate overnight and I'll know that my training can be like consistent and I'm not training for anything at the moment. So I'm not pushing through high intensities, but I will notice that 
over the course of a night, in some instances, my heart rate will be elevated to a greater extent throughout the, the night compared to all these other nights. And sometimes I can pinpoint it. Sometimes I can say it was either like a hot night or like, I'm not used to drinking a lot of alcohol, but I'll have like a couple of beers before bed or some type of food that um, that's not in my regular sort of routine. I think, Oh, maybe that's it. Uh, but mm-hmm. if my heart rate is elevated overnight, more so than all other nights, should I be aware of my training intensity? Should I be aware of like, is that heart rate, potentially influencing my ability to recover afterwards should i take a, an easy day is there any in your opinion is there any way to um yeah, any I suggestions think, uh, yeah definitely i think you um worded this quite nicely i think you should be aware but actually changing thumb the, the entire practice just because your resting measure is different i would rather suddenly do that um, okay or, or maybe even if like I really slept bad, or the, the heart rate measures is really bad, then I would actually change the, the training at that day. But everything else, uh, or in other situations, I usually would be aware during practice. And if some things even don't turn out that well during practice, I would be really, res- um, I would be like, I would then turn intensity down during practice or don't make it that long or something like this. But I think there are, it's really good good opportunity to uh, overcall and have false positives. So I would rather not be so um, data focused all the time. I mean, it could be interesting and informative to inform your decisions, but I would not uh, guide the decisions solely on just, just one measure. Be aware if there's, a, if there's an outlier, but uh, most of the time I would still do the training and see how it's, how it's going. And even there are good situations where sometimes you even perform better Although your resting measures were crap, maybe there were some weird situation that you didn't consider. And afterwards you had a really good morning and you had a really good breakfast and then your run turns out um, way better than, than usually. And even you recover quite nicely and this could happen. And I think we should not um, resist our, our, our opportunities, our potential just by um, some single measure. We shouldn't be over-reliant on these things. They couldn't form. And if I observe a really interesting phenomenon over and over again, that tells me something. But even yeah. if it's one instance, I would prob- probably be, um, yeah, I-, I wouldn't overcall. And like you said several times already, it's one piece of the puzzle. You can't just rely on this measurement because of the inaccuracies. But if you're measuring over time and you're relatively consistent, same stress levels, temperature, all that kind of thing, then maybe it could tell you something. Maybe the accuracy is a little bit, well, maybe it's a little bit more accurate if you are, if you know your body really well and you're measuring over a long period of time, but still, even then it's still one piece of the puzzle. We need to make sure that we're not over-reliant on that one measure, which takes me to my next point. And it kind of illustrates, I um, interviewed Dr. Izzy Smith a couple of episodes ago, and she was on the same line as you. She said, sometimes relying too much on one measure or like relying on your heart rate, um, what being way too involved in that measurement can sometimes have its problems in itself. And perhaps looking at how you're feeling and these subjective measures can be very, 
well, even more useful and more accurate because if you look at your heart rate and it's more elevated than usual, then that can trigger like a stress response in itself. Just physically looking at your measurement and relying on your measurement can start to influence that again. And I did look at a 2015 systematic review just before we jumped on this episode and it looked at uh, the subjective self-reported measures. So how someone feels and like answering certain questions themselves almost trumps objective measures when it comes to athletic well-being. And I did bring up this conversation with you before we started recording. You seem to be on the same opinion as that, as kind of almost merging the two and maybe having or understanding the accuracies and the importance of self-reported measuring and how you actually feel in a day, how stiff your muscles are, how well recovered you feel. Um, what can you say about that? Mm, that's that's a really good point. And from a practical perspective, like how I go with my own training, how I worked with all the athletes that I worked with before, it's always extremely important about how people feel, how they perceive themselves, have they a good understanding and perception of what ex what, what is actually happening, are they progressing? Um, so definitely, that's a really really important point and. At the same time, I also, especially with recreational athletes or with, uh, at the moment, I also have more contact to, to clients, to patients. And um, it's also quite easily possible if you're not exercising for a long time that you lose your good perception. Like really often, like the, the way you perceive your intensity what you're doing, are you over, are you overtraining in the way of like doing just too much, doing too little? I think we, we have really often a quite good feeling about that, but we can lose that if we are just um, not exercising or if we are chain have a really bad lifestyle. And therefore there are some situations where we can also help getting back to the good feeling just by calibrating our perceptions with objective measures. So there's also lots of situations where you go out for a run, think like, ah, oh, this is hard. You can look at your heart rate and think, maybe, maybe it's not that hard. Maybe it was just like I was still that stress. I'm not using my running technique as I uh, used to use it before. And um, it also can help you the other way around to get like a, a reverse biofeedback, for example. Or it could also help you to um, understand how different behaviors uh, react on your physiological responses. So it's also um, when when just talking about the practical aspect, um, it, it can help you get a better feeling, get a better individual control of what's actually happening in the training process. At the same time, um, I also think it's quite obvious, at least from my perspective, why this meta-analysis or review um, found these effects as suggested. Um, I mean, even with when, when we go to the physician and we have some, some blood measures, they are typically have some reference values. And some of the time when you have a, when you consult a physician over and over again, and you have a really high value or really high or really, really low heart rate, for example, my, my wife has a really low heart rate all the time. In the beginning, at the first consultation, they always say, yeah, your heart rate is really low. Maybe we should uh, consider this that you not have any problems, but if they know she has these low values over and over again, and this also happens with blood values, then they know, okay, this may be an individual level and we need to 
take this into consideration. And this is also what's happening in studies. So people have their individual responses. Um, people react to potentially standardized exercise differently because the exercise is not really that standardized in the studies. And what every athlete can tell you after demanding and after an overreaching period of training is that they will feel fatigue. So every measure that requires athletes or patients or subjects to report if they are feeling fatigued after intensive training, I mean, this is almost a non-brainer. Like everyone would say, yeah, it was demanding when you have higher training loads than usually. And so therefore it's quite obvious that in, in study contexts where it's a really short and overseeable amount of time that such measure, measures will be extremely accurate because everyone knows what happened, knows what's happening. You can't blind uh, the training load and therefore everyone will be able to realize what's happening and say that they are fatigued. But physiological measures and objective measures are net um, are not that easy. It doesn't really mean that they are like, the big question is, are they really less accurate or are they telling us a different story? So for example, if I'm having a, a runner that is used to really high uh, altitude or no, not altitude, really high elevation, and we're doing an overload training with high elevation, or maybe has a really specific running technique that he doesn't bother elevation, then probably uh, a blood measure that will indicate uh, blood damage will not respond with this athlete because he actually doesn't have blood dam uh, muscle damage. And therefore, when we look at objective measures, responses can differ because people can differ, but everyone will say they are fatigued. And I think this is also something that we should have in our minds um, when we talk about studies like this. It's also like they, I think, are a bit oversimplifying the, the real situations, but again, it shows how difficult it could be to rely on objective measures. I think that's really good, but even with blood measures, um, most of the time you have to understand your individual variability, your individual baseline, your individual level, to even work with such objective lab-based me lab measures, like, like blood measures like CK, for example. And this is also something that we have to consider um, when interpreting these results. And uh, sorry, the, the last point is, um, when we talk about self-reported measures, and I tried this in, in different settings and different athletes, I monitored a basketball team uh, where I also was a strength and conditioning coach for over two and a half years, and we did weekly monitoring. And after half a year, people were really annoyed by just filling out the questionnaires over and over again, especially when there are not that big changes in team sports, for example, on a daily basis based on these measures. And therefore, when we really look at the applied setting and at the long term, is it feasible to have daily subjective measures um, with the app, with a questionnaire, for example, to use this really good accuracy that is found in the studies, um, but it's difficult, at least with uh, elite athletes, to get valid recordings over and over again without having something like um, the, the fatigue of not wanting to respond anymore to these questionnaires. And this is something that we also have to keep in mind. We did an interview around heart rate variability in a previous episode and tended to, uh, well, what we learned from that is kind of the heart rate variability, if it's quite elevated, means that the sympathetic, parasympathetic are a little bit more in sync and it can relate to things like stress, to things like um, sleep, to things like exercise. Um, 
changes in like maybe some foods are disagreeing with you like certain internal processes and it seems that heart rate variability was some sort of measurement to um, predict what the body's doing with the, the in sync of the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system what's your thoughts on the accuracy of that measurement this is extremely difficult because um, on the one hand, I think we have extremely good situations and extremely good experiences and also case studies documented that quite impressively show that um, there's some kind of information in there and that what we actually think about and how we believe that the autonomic nervous system works on a different situation, it, mim it imitates this quite nicely. At the same time, I think we have a really substantial issue in, in, the, in the studies because most of the time we cannot actually measure how the autonomic nervous system actually works. Like to do that, we need to stick a needle in our nervous system and see how active is the parasympathetic and sympathetic systems. Like we have to get really invasive <clears throat> to actually measure what is happening. And really often we just assume to know what is happening. And like, this is the, the first issue. There are obviously some physiological experiments also in the animal model or in different animal models that allow us a quite good extrapolation of what we think actually happens. But in a specific situation, when I'm changing my diet and heart rate drops or heart rate variability increases or the other way around, whatever, the question always is, was it due to this specific intervention or was it due to another factor that changed it? that changed and I'm not aware of that. Like the good thing is if we think about resting measures of heart rate and heart rate variability as something like a global indicator, because it could be one of these different aspects that may have a negative effect on the, the way that I'm currently recovering, then that's, that might be a good indicator. But at the end, we never know where it's coming from because it could be A, it could be B, it could be C, it could be D. And this is the, the big problem. And this is also really difficult because at the end, it's extremely, and therefore I'm not a, a good physiologist to understand this quite well enough. Um, I think we don't have good study models to control for such a complex situation. We know everything influences the autonomic nervous system, but how can we go the other way around and understand, okay, if I have a change in the measure, what is actually the reason for that? And how can I then manipulate the different circumstances? And I think this is really uh, a big, big difficulty um, where there are also lots and lots of questions and where we don't know actually at the moment, is it accurate is it or not? Is it um, measurement error? Is it noise that we are observing? Or is it, is it some signal that is important, but, I'm not that, but I don't know where the signal is coming from? And as, as at, le at least as far as I know, we did not solve this question so far. So if we think of this, okay, this might be one indicator that something is wrong and that I'm then at a um, mental state of being aware and thinking about what's actually happening. Is there something that I could or should adjust in my life to uh, just stay on my, uh, on my road for achieving my goals? Then that's good, but it's really, like the door is really open for our over-reliance and for over oversimplification, I think. So it's, I think there's a quite, um, quite 
it's quite easy to overcall heart rate measures. Okay. So, Let me throw this question at you then. If a recreational runner came to you and said, Chris, I am, I've been running, I'm training for a marathon, uh, maybe my first marathon, and I have got this heart rate device or this, um, this sensor that's measuring my heart rate, heart rate variability, a couple of other things. I do understand that it's, I do understand the inaccuracies of it. I do understand that it's one piece of the puzzle and I will be following my um, self-reported how I'm feeling to, to as like a another piece of the puzzle to judge my training. Would you still recommend that they monitor heart rate and monitor their heart rate variability knowing everything that we've covered today? I think especially with endurance-based sport, I, was, I would almost always give it a try. Like if I have the time, just give it a try. It's like really inexpensive. It's really easy to do. Um, you have to try to standardize it a little bit, but if you make it your routine, it's extremely easy. Um, try to see if it's um, giving you interesting information. Like if it matches the, the overall framework, the overall changes that are actually happening during training. Um, does it imitate your long-term changes? And also, do you see really rep uh, replicatable, replicable, replicatable um, short-term changes? Then you could use it. There are lots of situations where it doesn't work. Um, I have a colleague who's doing Ironmans for a long time. The, the, the amounts of training he did and the changes that he not saw were extreme like even pre and post Ironman he didn't see any substantial changes for him it didn't work uh, for other athletes it works extremely well so just give it a try it's not not a lot of effort and uh, see if the information is helping you I mean it's also you could play around with different situations there are some suggestions that, sh that you should do something like an autostatic test like you have a um, supine period and then you have a standing up period we also look at how does the heart rate respond in the standing up um, maneuver in a, in, a, in a change? And how high is your heart rate during standing? If you are a really well-trained well um, endurance athlete, a lot of the time your resting heart rate and your parasympathetic and the supine position is so strong that you actually lose all the sensitivity that this measure can get. And then you have to go to a sitting um, recording or to a standing recording to still see any any changes due to training for example but you there are lots of um, situations like if the measure doesn't work you can try different situations and then it may may work or you start with standing or seating uh, seated, seated measures right away so definitely try that and also like i personally was would always especially in endurance-based sports collect heart rate during practice i mean this is so easy with a, even with a, if you don't like the, the chest straps, you nowadays have the, the optical sensors. And especially if we are talking about things that are not necessarily at the, at the watch, but for example, like um, the sensors that are more upwards to the arm, the, the things, the data that I saw and the studies that I saw and the experiences I have myself, they are quite well for just get, getting the overall impression. And um, it's it's really easy. You you don't have to do an additional measure. And I mean, what every runner that I talked with um, mentioned when monitoring their heart rates during training over a longer period, 
even if the training is not standardized, you usually see like you get fitter, heart rate at the same pace, get lower over the long term. Like just observing the overall trends, even in completely unstandardized condition, gives you some information. And great strength is you can do this in every single session. Sometimes you're doing two runs a day or you have several sessions per week. And if you then find some situations, for example, you always have a short, um, short, short distance in the beginning where you run every time the same thing with the same pace, you could use the first five to 10 minutes with the heart rate and see, okay, this over time doesn't change. It's really easy to get a really good impression over the many, many measurements that you have to see where you're actually going. Yeah, I think- it's really valuable and low, low, low costs. When you're talking about trends, I think that's a, a really nice way to put it because from what we described, it looks like the shorter term you go and the more like if you rely on data that's like in the moment or like if the time frame is really short, it seems to be, it's very, very hard to accurately interpret. Whereas if you're looking at very trends over time or reproducible trends over time, then that's where you can start to learn more about your body and tend to hone in on some accuracy. Some things that I've learned when I'm doing like really short, fast triathlon races is my heart rate will be elevated for three days, three to four days afterwards. And that's totally like out of the norm for me for my heart rate to be so elevated but it always happens every time that i race and it's always three or four days that takes my heart rate to drop back down and so you're almost being your own little scientist just gathering data and the first time it would have happened uh, during that race i would have just taken it as a bit of information but then if it's reproducible every single time and it's kind of predictable in a way as you start to measure over um this might not be just for races. It might be during trainings. It might be during times of the week. It might be um, just something that is a variable that is reproducible over a period of time. Then you can start to learn more about your body. And I think a lot of the times, oh, well, this conversation, a lot of it is quite realistic. We're focused a lot on the the negative sides and the inaccuracies and the the different variations in heart rate. But I think we can come to some sort of conclusion around the importance of objective measures as just a little bit of piece of the puzzle, but it does need to follow some sort of trend and you don't really necessarily need to focus on the numbers. We need to focus on yes, the numbers, but also how you're feeling, how the, um, do you feel recovered? Do you feel like you've got fatigue or do you feel like you're underperforming? Do you feel like you have muscle soreness? These are all really, oh, well, they're, they're very, very important. You can't just rely on the numbers to, accurately interpret things um w- would you agree with that everything that was said yeah totally i think this is the the best opportunity it's like it gives you an extremely easy tool and if you then have so look for the situations um you can investigate on yourself within your training i mean like good good trainers good coaches are working the same way as scientists do they figure out situations, they try to understand what's actually happening. They do it over and over again. Every day is a small experiment and uh, it's a small investigation, small study. And that's, that's I think, the, the biggest opportunity and the biggest thing that we can learn with all the different variables, measures, and so on and so far. It could help us to learn something about our body, to then focus on our body and 
get the performance out of it. Yeah. yeah. I think we're falling into a, a yeah, I, I think the um I think the the theme of this topic has has concluded very nicely. And Chris, if anyone wants to learn more about you and your papers or um anything else if they have any questions is there any social media accounts or handles or something that people can go to yeah um like if we you want to uh, probably the best place is, is twitter i think mm -hmm. um i need to look my handle up that's honest. okay i've got it here um oh, so <laughs> i can i can easily just um include the the twitter link in the show notes so um that if people are interested, they just click on that and they, it takes you straight there. So I'll include that definitely. Um, so yeah, Twitter's the best. Be, yeah, definitely. So like just to, to get a conversation starting, that's that's the easiest part. And um, there are quite a lot of Christoph Schneiders in Germany, so it's difficult to just Google a name. <laughs> but if you look at for sports science or if you find it um, through Twitter, you are really easy to find like the, the other profiles if you want to look at some papers or if you want to find my email address and so on. And yeah, always happy to chat. And that's probably the easiest way. Great. Yeah. Me. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank us. Thank you for kind of like a, a real, real unbiased view on the data. I, I think I find a lot of researchers when they are really invested in a certain topic, they tend to um, start to slowly mold their bias in a certain direction. And you seem to be totally level-headed and totally like, um, yeah, unbiased towards these certain, certain topics. And it, it's left us with a really informative topic and a really, like we're, we've been really informed around heart rate and how to, how to practically start using it. And I think in a lot of these topics, there's no one answer. You can't say like the evidence doesn't show that we can hone in on a certain way to use it. But if we're fully aware of now our current understanding around heart rate and how to measure it, what the inaccuracies are. I think that's a really nice step and we're not misleading people to rely on too many different things and lead them astray. So I want to thank you for coming on, sharing your knowledge and yeah, this has been really informative. Yeah. Thank you very much. I had a great time. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Run Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content has on your future running. If you appreciate the mission this podcast is creating, it would mean a lot to me if you submit a rating and review. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and get instant notifications when a new episode comes out. If you want to learn quicker, then join our Facebook group by searching the podcast title. If you want to take your learning to the next step, including injury prevention principles, injury-specific insights, and modules to boost your running performance, then head to our website by searching runsmarter.online and jump into our Run Smarter Online course. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.